0: Imagine, like, what if Bluffton became a different place because the church started to live out what she was called to live out? What if she was reminded of who she was supposed to be and we started to live that out? What if we, as God's people here in Bluffton, what if we recaptured our hearts for Jesus and we focused on Him and then we lived out what God is calling us to live out? My friends, the unstoppable church that Jesus is building is built by bringing individuals together so that they would become something new together. That's what we are called to be. To be unstoppable. How's it going, church? Ooh, I'm on. Hey, so good to see you. Uh, There's probably a couple different types of people in this room right now. Um... Curious which one you are. Uh, so some of us we don't mind asking for help. Like when we need some help, well, it's not a big deal. We'll ask for it. Uh, some of us, maybe a few of us, are like that. Others of us, uh, probably a little bit more like me, you're a little stubborn, a little stubborn in asking for help, until you get in a situation that it was far stickier than you can get out of. So, a few years ago, well, more like five, six years ago, uh, we were living on the west side of Cincinnati, and uh, we were serving a church on the east side of Cincinnati. So, naturally, we wanted to get toward the church that we were serving so that we could be in the community and be a part of it. Well, we, uh, we were living in Cincinnati, so if, you, if you're familiar with Cincinnati, it's very hilly, you know, there's like a lot of hills and stuff. And so, the particular house that we were living uh, in, in Price Hill, had a very long and High incline kind of driveway. Okay. And so it was moving day and I did what you would do. I got a 26 foot U-Haul truck. Okay. Now U-Haul is one of the selling points for U-Hauls in case you've not used a U-Haul is that it's got a low kind of like back bumper kind of thing. So you don't have to do a lift uh, to get all your stuff up. You guys tracking me, you know what I'm saying? Okay. You gotta look at me kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. Okay. All right. So, all right. If you are familiar with angles, okay, so you got a long truck with a, with a short back uh, bumper, and you have to go up here, okay? So I, it was good going up the driveway, all right? I got the truck all the way up the driveway. We loaded it up, and uh, it was good. We had plenty of help. I was excited because we were going to get the move. The big part was done. It's always easier to unload than it is to load. So I start the engine, I put in reverse, and I start going down this driveway, and y'all, when you have stuff in the U-Haul truck, it sits lower, because it's heavier, you know what I'm saying, so you can track where this is going, so I'm going back, and I'm starting to turn, and all of a sudden, I come to a screeching halt, and it was not of my own doing, I get out, and I'm, I had no idea what was happening, because like, I didn't know, because I was pushing on the gas, nothing was moving, y'all. I got out of the truck. Guess what I was in? I was not stuck on the road. I was stuck in the road. Like in the, I had gotten this U-Haul truck stuck into the middle of the road. Not a fun moment, right? Not your brightest moment. Brandon, you should have chosen a better angle. You know what I mean? Should have done a little bit Tighter of a turn, if you guys are tracking with me here. I had gotten that thing stuck into the cement and I was holding up traffic for about three hours. (laughs) This is a busy road. Who's the genius who got the U Haul truck stuck in the road? (laughs) Yup, me. So, in those moments, sometimes we're in those moments where we're like humbled enough. World would be like, hey, anybody help, help, help. That's where I was. I was calling people, I was trying, neighbors were coming. They were like, man, this is genius. I'm help this guy out. I'm getting like a two by four, and I'm like, let's, yeah, let's just, you know, mm, trying to lift it up and all this stuff, and it's just not working. So for three hours, this U Haul truck was stuck in the road. Finally, I had gotten enough people who had more of an engineering mindset in their brain, and we got it unstuck. And when that happened, it was, oh, praise Jesus. You know what I mean? Some of us, like, there are times in our lives when we need help. Amen? And sometimes there are times in our lives where we are the people who need to offer the help as well. So since we've been talking about this idea that we as the church are the family of God, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at what it looks like to help each other in our times of need. Okay, so if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Galatians. Go ahead and grab that, turn to Galatians, and we're going to be in chapter 6. But here's, here's the truth. The way we help each other as the church should be different than the way the world tries to help each other. Okay, so we're going to dive into this. Galatians chapter 6. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to this church, and they were dealing with a few things. Dealing with a few uh, kind of doctrinal things that had ma- led them to believe that in order to be a part of God's family, you needed not only to, to be following Jesus, but you also needed to step into all the Jewish rituals and rites, including circumcision. Okay, so if you're a guy, it's a hard, that's a hard commitment, right? This is a messed up thing, right? And so these people were telling them, this is what you have to do. You have to follow the law of Moses and Jesus in order to be a part of God's family, and what Paul is saying, hey, that's not at all what this is supposed to be. And what was happening is they kind of fell into this legalism of, of judging people based on what they did or didn't do. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've experienced this in the church of judgment, harshness, just kind of a bunch of people think that they've got it all figured out. And every time you mess up, you're like, bam, right? No one ever experienced that. Okay, cool. That's good. All right. We can all go home. Just kidding. All right, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is what Paul says. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. We talked about this a few weeks ago, how God, uh, through Jesus, what his goal was, was not just to forgive you of your sins, but he wanted you to become a part of his family. And that through Jesus, we get to be adopted as sons and daughters. That way, the creator of the universe is not just some God out there, but he is our father who is right here with us. This is a game changer. And we also talked about how Jesus is our big brother the big brother we can go to anytime we are in need, anytime we have a need for wisdom or counsel, he's there, he's walking with us through life. And then we talked about how the fact that, uh, look around, everyone, look around, not, don't stop looking at me, look around, look around, seriously, look around, look at, smile at everyone, say, hey, hey, uh, we, through Jesus, are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we are a family. So you see, Paul is saying, brothers and sisters, this is not how we ought to behave Uh, What what does he say? If any one of you, if someone is overtaken in any any wrongdoing, if anyone's overtaken by sin, uh, how many of you know that sin can creep up on you and it can take you out? It can overtake you. That's what sin does. That's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to look for his opportunity to get you to where you will ask the question, how did I get here? Because you never intended to be there. Sin will get at you really quick. And He's saying that, brothers and sisters, if anyone among us is caught, is overtaken, is overwhelmed by any wrongdoing, any kind of sin, we have a responsibility as God's family, as God's people, to look out for each other, to restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Uh, anybody ever been to Haspen Acres, Haspen Acres, southeast of Indianapolis, Cool, we'll go one day. All right. Uh, anybody like riding dirt bikes, four wheelers, jeeps, stuff like that? All right. I'm going to stop using these illustrations because, okay, anyway. All right. So, anyway, I planned on it. I'm going to tell you about it. It's all good. You can track with me. Haspin Acres, it's a place. Uh, you go there, ride dirt bikes, four wheelers. They got, like, you know, tracks and, and trails and all this stuff. Y'all should get out more. It's a lot of fun. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we can do, like, a church. Church trip, you know, get a bunch of four wheelers. It'd be great time. Uh, So we on this particular day, I was riding a a little Suzuki dirt bike, and this was one that was more of a racing dirt bike. Uh, And so like you have to kind of just go. It doesn't work in the trails very well because in trails, you're kind of like downshifting and upshifting and it's just kind of a difficult thing to be on, a, on this one of these racing dirt bikes through trails. But anyways, I was on the trails this particular moment, like the one time I went into the trails and uh, my family and, and family friends were there and we were riding through the trails and all of a sudden we got to this clearing, this opening on our right-hand side and everyone stopped. And, and we were just, and then, and then we stopped, and then we looked over to this opening. This is where all the, the people with the Jeeps and stuff were. It was like an open, dirt, mud thing, you know? If you have a Jeep, you just want to get out there and just tear it up, right? Uh, and, and so everyone was staring and kind of laughing at these people because they had their Jeep stuck in the mud, We were not holy and like, you know, like, oh, so concerned about them. We were like, oh, (laughs) you're stuck. (laughs) Uh, But luckily for them, right, they were stuck in the mud, but they had some people around them who had some Jeeps, and they were trying to pull them out. And uh, thankfully, they were able to get them out. But, uh, you know, all the while I'm over there sitting on my dirt bike, like, "Uh, losers, (laughs) you know. Um, Hopefully, I'm a little bit more holier than that now. But anyway, um, what does it mean to restore such a person? To make right. That Greek word is, is kind of the, carries with it the thrust of uh, mending a net, making something right. Or maybe for us, uh, you know, when you had a broken arm, you put a cast on it. It makes it right. It makes it as it needs to be. Well, here's, here's what I know, and this should remind us of something, what he's saying here, that we should love our brothers and sisters enough so that when someone's overtaken by sin, any kind of wrongdoing, we are people who restore them. Why? Because Jesus, when he saw us stuck in the mud, when he saw us stuck in quicksand, when he saw us in over our heads without any kind of path to get out of. He saw it fit to come down and rescue us, to restore us, to get us out of the mud and back on track where we needed to go. That's what Jesus has done. And so because of that, because we've been loved with that kind of love, we are now people who when we see someone who's stuck in some kind of wrongdoing, stuck in some kind of sin with no way out, what do we do? We're called to be restorers to make it right. Because the love that we love people with is the same love that Jesus loved us with. And so what does this mean? Here's the tricky thing. Paul talks about it at the end of verse one. He says, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be, what's that word church? So that you also won't be tempted. There's a sneaky thing about pride. Pride's sneaky. Because here's the situation we're seeing, right? If anyone's caught in wrongdoing, then we who are spiritual, we who are led by the Spirit of God should restore them. What can happen when you are in the middle of restoring someone who's caught in sin? Pride will tell you and convince you of two things. First, what it will tell you is that, huh, well, I'm glad I'm not that person. God, thank you for not letting me be that dumb. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Should I aim into that? I'm not sure. Convince us that, oh, bless their heart. You know what that means, right? Bless their heart. Big dummies. (laughs) Pride will convince us that when we're in the middle of trying to restore someone who's caught in sin, that we are better than them. And that's what the Galatians were dealing with because they were giving over to this legalism that told them that you have to do this, this, and this. And if you don't do this, this, and this, then you are less than. And what Paul is saying, that you are called to be restorers, but in the midst of restoring someone who's caught in sin, don't fall into sin yourself. Because if you convince yourself that you are something when you are nothing, then you are given over to pride, and you are just as sinful as they are. And at the end of the day, all of us have got sin. Yes? The second thing that pride will try and convince us of, and I think this is the one that we struggle with the most, most of us, it'll convince us of who am I to say anything about that? You see someone caught in sin, who am I to do anything about that? It's not my business. It's not my thing. I'm, that's them over there. And it convinced us that it's not our problem. But what Paul is saying, what God's word is saying is that because we're the family of God, when someone among us is caught in sin, The love that we love them with is the one that says, I'm pursuing you, I love you, and I know that the path you're going down is not going to end well, and I want to come alongside of you and get you to the one who can fully restore you, and his name is Jesus, and I want to bring you to him. That's what we're called to be, church, as a family. And and that's a hard thing, right? Because a lot of us, we don't want to step into that space. Of discomfort, But aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't say, you know what? Their sin's not my problem. I didn't do it. It's not a big deal. Whatever. Bless their heart. Aren't you so glad that Jesus saw it fit that he was going to pursue you in the midst of your mess and try and bring you to a point where you would realize that you are dead and gone without him so that you can experience freedom and life to the fullest? Aren't you so glad And so we are supposed to love people in the same way that Jesus loved us. We're supposed to restore them with a gentle spirit. That's the gospel. Then he goes on in verse 2. He says this. Carry one another's burdens. In this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. So not only is life filled with, and you know this to be true, not only is life filled with sin that can get in and overtake us, those kinds of burdens, but life is full of burdens just because of it's life. Amen? When you experience loss, when you experience uh, disappointment, when, you, when, when life does not end the way you wrote the script in your goal book... <laughs> When life happens, oftentimes the the word that he's talking about with his burdens is this tremendous weight that weighs on you. It's not just some kind of thing like, you know, we talked about last week where you're trying to bring all the groceries in one one trip and it's just like something you can carry. No, this is something that is backbreaking for you. You've been in these moments, right? You've been in situations, you've seen people who are bearing burdens that are so heavy that they can't do it on their own. It's breaking their back. We brought a wheelbarrow and we needed a dump truck to carry it. It's just not working. Many of us, we try to carry boulders on our own and what God's family is supposed to be is a family who will come alongside of each other when when we are dealing with burdens that are too heavy to bear and we will come in, enter into that burden and we will help each other carry through when you've been in situations when it was too much for you, I pray, I hope that you've had people in your life who would come in and bear that burden with you, who would just be present in the midst of it. I've, I've told you this a, a few times as we've been here, but last, last year, Sarah's uh, dad was fighting cancer and we uh, made trips, two trips to Arizona to, to visit with him in the midst of it. The first one, we thought we were saying goodbye, but he rallied and he was doing really well and so we went back again. And the second time we went back, it was just me, Sarah, the boys, Xander uh, and Zeke and, and uh, her three sisters. And we were there for about 24 hours because we wanted to make sure that we were able to be with him because it seemed like it was turning For the worst. And I can just tell you, like, from experiencing that situation where where these sisters came together to be with their dad. To love him really well. The, the amount of, of uh, tension that would have been there had it been a different situation might have been greater. But how many of you know when life uh, is really throwing at the serious stuff, when you're dealing with the serious stuff of life, a lot of the peripheral stuff that when, when life is just kind of happening that you get hung up on, that stuff goes to the peripheral, doesn't it? It's not as much of a concern. But they were able to just be with each other, to to be present with him when he was awake and, 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 and doing stuff, to be able to just be there with him. And then when he was taking a nap and and resting, they were just there together. They were reminiscing about the past, talking about their their lives. And, And it was just such a beautiful picture of what it looks like for the family to bear the burdens that everyone is bearing, to come alongside of each other because we are better together. And so that is what it looks like, church, to be the church to come and be present. Many times when life happens and, and people are bearing burdens that we don't understand or we can't connect to, or it's not our burden that is, that is originating from us, we have a hard time of knowing what to do or knowing what to say. And oftentimes we try to like come up with something to say because we just don't know what else to do. But oftentimes the greatest thing you can do for someone who is hurting, who is carrying a burden is to just be there with them, to just be there, be present Step into the mess, step into the situation, step into the hardship, step into the struggle, and be there with them. That's the picture that I got to see in the midst of that. And what if the church was like that? What if we looked at each other, not as people who attend the same church, but as brothers and sisters in Christ, as members of the same family? What if we looked at this church gathering, not as an event we attend, but as a family we are a part of? What if we looked like that? That would change the way we love each other, wouldn't it? It would change. A a number of years ago, about three or four, I was, uh, we we were serving at the church in Ohio and we were still portable at the time. So we met at high schools and all kinds of things and and the staff, we didn't have offices. So we just worked from home or Starbucks or Panera or wherever we happened to be. And and so in the midst of that, I was working from home one day and um, I, I don't know what caused it, but there was just, I started to experience anxiety. And now, for those of you who have experienced anxiety, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to explain it. But for those of you who haven't, I, the best way I can explain it is just this overwhelming sense of just something pressing in on you. And, and the best way I can describe it is you have to remind yourself to breathe time and time again. And I couldn't explain why it was happening. I didn't understand it. And as, as you know, the person I'm kind of wired to be is just trying to figure it out or deal with it or just keep going or whatever. Like, it'll just pass, but it didn't pass. Like, can you imagine having to remind yourself to breathe day in, day out, moment by moment by moment? That's something that's supposed to happen. But everything was just pressing in i don't know what it was but i did know someone who else someone else who had dealt with that so i reached out to them finally after uh, after a little while and and i said hey kenny this is the the lead pastor out there at uh the church there and i said hey i I don't know even what i'm asking for I, i don't even know what you can do about this but i just need you to know like i'm i think i know what anxiety is now um I can't even explain. I just, it feels like I can't breathe. It I feels like everything's just, everything's just coming in after me and, and it's just, I can't explain it. And I had dealt with depression before, but I'd never dealt with anxiety and that was just something completely different. And, and you know, he just gave me encouragement. He said, I've been there. I know what you're dealing with. Just, just, and he gave me some, some encouragement, some wise counseling. I, I, just, I have to say, like that little bit of, of expression of mutuality that he knew what I was going through, that he was was willing to step into it and and be with me through it. That made all the difference. So if we're gonna love people, well, if we're gonna bear one of those burdens, we have to be present and we have to be willing to step into their lives. That's what love looks like, y'all. The foundation of what God has called us to is to love him and to love who? To love, you say it, love people. Love is tough. Love is hard. Love requires us to do things that we wouldn't otherwise do unless we were driven by that kind of love. To be present in the midst of someone's burden bearing, that's, that's hard. It's hard because you're carrying it with them. And, and what I think Paul is getting at when he's saying, hey, don't be overcome by a temptation yourself is because what oftentimes can happen is that we will, we will convince ourselves that this is either beyond, our, beyond what we can do or it's just not our problem. And what he's calling us to do is to step into each other's lives in such a way where we can understand that, yes, my sin, my burden may be different, but at the end of the day, I'm on the same playing field as you. And it's only because of Jesus and his grace that I have any kind of way to go. And so we are called then, church, to be the people of God who will step into each other's lives. And that would change so much if we looked at this church as our family rather than just the place we attend. Paul says this, and uh, to kind of give you some context, a couple of verses before Galatians 6, he says this, In Galatians 5, verse 25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, you who are led by the Spirit, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. In Galatians, he's trying to get them to understand that the fulfillment of the law is in the loving of your neighbor as you love yourself, in loving people the way Jesus loves you. And for us to get that, we have to step into being willing to have those courageous conversations with people when they are stuck in sin and restore them to make it right, to walk with them, to be willing to ask them the hard question, how are you doing with that? Not from a place of pride, not from a place of condemnation, but from a place of love. And when we see someone around us who's bearing a burden that they cannot bear on their own, we have to step in and carry it with them. And he's saying, because our role has changed, because we are led by the Spirit of God, we can do this. Here's the thing. We do not love as God's family based on our own willpower, based on our own ideas, based on our own intellect, based on anything other than the strength and the power of the Spirit of God living in you. This is the game changer that we all have to understand because too many of us minimize what God can do through us because we say, who am I? Little old me, what can God do? Anytime we say, uh, you know what, that's their problem, I'm not gonna step into that. Anytime we dismiss what God might wanna do through us, we are saying, God, your power is insufficient. Because anytime you doubt what God can do through you, you're not doubting yourself, you're doubting him. And many of us, we need to get over ourselves, get over that pride that tells us we can't be used by God and get over that and step into the life that the Holy Spirit's trying to lead us into. He's trying to cultivate, and he's doing it. He's cultivating love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control in us. This is his work. This is God's doing. So when we say, God, use me however you want. I don't know how to bear the burden of this person. I don't know how to step into the life of my brother or sister. I don't know how to do. I don't have the answers. But God, I know that you do, and I know that when... When someone comes to you just willing to be used, that you use them, that you use them every single time. We have to get over ourselves, get over our pride that either sometimes manifests itself in arrogance or insecurity and let him use us because that's the only way that we move forward as the family of God. So what does it look like for us to be restorers? People who have been restored, who are gonna go to our brother and sister and restore them In the name of Jesus. What does it look like for us to bear one of those burdens? See, God has given you a role change in life. I don't know about you, but I used to be a burden to others. (laughs) And now he's hopefully using me to bear some burdens of others. And maybe the same is true for you. He's trying to get you to the point where you understand you've been restored so that you can restore others. So what does that look like? Four things. First, we have to. if we're gonna restore uh, someone to Jesus, we're gonna bear someone's burden. If we see them caught and overtaken by sin, if we see them trying to carry a boulder up a mountain and we wanna step into that, what do we start with? We start with prayer. We start with prayer. We have to be willing to go to our heavenly father who has all wisdom, who has all glory, who has all power and say, God, I don't know what to do, but I know you do. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? Whatever, I'm here to be used by you. And the second thing is we must practice presence among people. God could use you mightily in the midst of someone's darkest, hardest moments. Not because of something you say, just by you being there. How many of you, you've been been dealing with a burden? How, How big of a deal is it when someone's just willing to be there with you through it? It's a big deal, isn't it? We we must be present among each other. The third thing is to listen to the Spirit. If you follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. That changes things. But we must listen to him. He's going to give you prompts to love someone in a certain way. He's going to give you prompts to to bring peace to a situation. But we have to be willing to step into that. And the fourth thing, at the end of the day, we must do what we can do. Just do what you can do. You know, for a lot of us, when we are seeing someone who is overtaken by a sin, we need to just be willing to step into the discomfort of accountability. And it doesn't have to be some official thing, but you just be like, hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? How can I pray for you? Like that, that's a game changer because that changes the temperature of their expectations. That, that tells them that you care for them enough to be uncomfortable. Love is hard. For, for, for a lot of us, there's, there's situations. You see someone in need. You see someone who needs help. How can you help? Do something. Do what you can do. God will use you. God will use you. This is, this is a foundational question. I think we can just start asking ourselves on a re- regular daily basis because oftentimes we don't know what it looks like and every situation is different. In every moment this week, I wanna encourage you, just ask this question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? What does love require of me? When you're at work, right, and you're dealing with one of those coworkers, you know, that one, you know what I'm saying, that one. The one that presses your buttons on your last nerve, you know what I'm saying, their name is, you just filled it in. When you're with your coworkers, what does love require of me? How would that change? If you ask that question and you follow God's answer, what, how would that change the temperature of the room at your workplace? What does love require of me? When people are annoying, when people are just pressing on you, or all that stuff, what does love require of me? Sometimes it's a hard conversation. Sometimes it's just be willing to be present. What does love require of me? When you are uh, with your classmates at school, when they're annoying you or when they won't be quiet or when they're just messing with you or whatever, what does love require of me? When when you're you're with your friends and and they are in need and you see that they have some kind of need that you can meet, what does love require of me? When you're with your spouse and, and, and they're not being as holy as you would like them to be, No one, <laughs> what does love require of me? When you're with your kids or your grandkids and they just won't listen, what does love require of me? When you're with your community group, this new family that you're a part of and you're, you're talking about life and you're talking about situations and you hear of a need or you know that they're struggling with something, what does love require of me? What does it require Of me, When you're with your church and you're gathered together and you hear of a need, you hear of a ministry team like children's ministry, student ministry, guest services, any kind of ministry that's involved in the church that needs people to be a part of what they're doing, what does love require of me? What does it look like to love each other? When you're with strangers at Kroger, when you are on the road with strangers, what does love require of me? Can you imagine, for some of us, uh, there was one time in your life where you walked away from the church. And, and for, for a lot of you, it was because you, ex- you didn't experience people asking the question, what does love require of me? But you, you, you saw people asking the question, how can I make your life miserable as possible? Or how can I judge you? Or how can I be harsh with you? How can I make sure you know how much you don't measure up? Many of us who have walked away from the church or or were anti-church at one time in our lives, if we experienced a community, a family who was like that, who has loved each other, when, when they asked the question, what does love require of me? Then they followed the answer, you would never have walked away you would have never walked away. Imagine what the church could be. If we all asked the question, what does love require of me? And we looked at each other as our brothers and sisters bought by the blood of Jesus, having a bond that is deeper than any kind of family relationship that we have on this earth, but it is universal, it is, it is eternal. That is what we are as the church. Imagine what it would look like if we loved each other like that. You know what would happen? The people who walked away from church because they got church hurt, they would come back you know why? Because they would see something in you. They would see something unique. They would see something that no one else in this world can offer them. No one else, no group can show them. And that is what Jesus promised. He said, the people out here, all those people around us, they will know that you are my disciples by how? By the how much you read your Bible, by how much you pray, by how much you're at church, by how many verses you memorize. No, no. He said, they will know that you are my disciples. They will know that you've been with me by how you love one another. At the end of the day, that's what we're called to do. And love requires us to restore someone who's caught in sin. It requires us to bear each other's burdens. It requires us to be present among each other. What does love require of me? That's a question we can all ask ourselves this week as we go through the different spheres of life, different opportunities To be a light in the darkness. Church, would you stand? Let's pray. And we'll sing to our awesome God.